Today's show is brought to you by Paris Green, a most French and Paris-like store located at 77 Oak Street, downtown Ashland, Oregon. It's so French. You can't believe how French it is. Big floppy hats, pictures, jewelry, lots of French things. Very French and France-like. Like Gabby, the proprietor of Paris Green. I like France. I like French jazz. I like French fries. So if you feel like a trip to France is out of your range, come to Paris Green. Have a cappuccino and maybe a cookie. 77 Oak Street, Ashland, Oregon. It's the grooviest place in town. I would not lie to you because I am not a liar. See you soon. Bye-bye. I am Citizen 44. Hey everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here. Welcome to Citizen 44, show number 36. On today's show, we have Brooke DeBoer and Sean Mark Nipper, both of these fine citizens of the world, are storytellers. Uh, Fast Life is a television show that uh, is being produced by Brooke DeBoer. This is uh, a reality-type program that follows her husband and uh, race car driver uh, from track to track on his quest to become a professional competitive race car driving dude again the show is called fast life Uh, you can find it on amazon prime Uh, also again sean mark nipper very funny cat part of the film community here in uh, ashland in southern oregon and uh, he's here to talk about a lot of things a very interesting life i almost burned my apartment down the other day (sighs) unbelievable man I was cleaning my stove. I didn't realize I inadvertently grazed the knob and turned on the electric burner, which is covered by a two and a half inch thick, solid wood cutting board. And I just went out to take out my trash and uh, dump the uh, recyclables and uh, came back. Neighbors coming out. And when I opened the door, smoke coming out of my apartment. Now, fortunately, it was contained to the bottom of the cutting board. No damage, a lot of smoke, a lot of stink. I aired out the hallway, took a couple of days to get really most of the smell out. Thank goodness my uh, apartment no longer smells uh, like uh, a campfire. And it did, it really stunk, it was pretty bad. I actually had to uh, reschedule uh, a chat with uh, friend Gary Kaut, who actually produced a fantastic show on Netflix called Flint Town. Uh, One season so far, eight episodes. I highly recommend it. Uh, It's a sad story, but uh, it's something the rest of the country should know about. And they're still going through uh, incredible trials and tribulations. We have a good show, uh, and uh, let's go ahead and get right down to it.
by you. Thank you. Sorry. Hey, Brooke. Hi. So your last name is DeBoer. Yes. And the DeBoer family is very prominent in Ashland, Oregon. Yeah. And you personally are married to Derek DeBoer, mm -hmm. who is a race car driver, correct? Yes. Is he a Formula One race car driver? No, he drives sports cars, an American sports car series called the Pirelli World Challenge. What is that? The Pirelli World Challenge is a series with a number of manufacturers that race together. They are GT4 cars, GT3 cars. The GT3 is a purpose-built race car that's carbon fiber. It's made as a race car. The GT4 cars are many manufacturers that you know, like an Aston Martin or a McLaren, and they are made into a racing car with okay. the safety features and everything. I film and he focuses uh, on all okay. that. I'm a mom first and a wife. I had a little period of time where I was a single mom, and Derek adopted Paige in the first year of her life. So she's our oldest daughter, who's now in college. She's 19. She's at a, a small Christian college all the way over in Illinois. I miss her terribly. She's in her sophomore year of college. You know what sophomore means? Sophomore? No, actually. Ah, I don't. It means wise fool. You're kidding, right? You're not making that Why up. I'm make that up. I don't know. I'm going to check on we that. We can look it up right now. We're going to do it here live on the show. Okay, cool. That's fun. Because, uh, I like this. I like to learn new things. We're looking up... Sophomore. Denoting... Oh, no, no. That's... See? Now, that's just talking about... Well, that's just talking about the... What it, the level you are in school. That's right. But that's not the meaning of the word. Hmm. Uh, hang on. Uh, Student in second year of college. I did not make this up, Brooke. I swear I did not make this up. I believe you. Sophomore. This sophomore. is fun. I love exploring words. It's one of the things I've always done. Just look up words and try to find the deeper meaning in things. Well, they're very powerful. Yeah, I mean, you know, they are. We, we words use are. them pretty much irresponsibly for the most part. <laughs> uh, see sophomore for English. Now we're really going for it. We're going deep, Brooke. <laughs> yeah, see, it's still not saying... What I found immediately when I looked for it last time. This is Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, too, so... Maybe let's look up sophomoric. Here it is. Conceited and overconfident of knowledge, but poorly informed oh. and immature. So my friend, who's a professional copywriter out of San Francisco, read uh -huh. some of my copies and said, you know, you're a little sophomoric. And uh, I said, well, I am a little sophomoric. I am kind of... Is that like, bad? Well, evidently depends on who's looking at you. I have these little cards, and I can't remember what they're called, but my friend who's a life coach gave them to me. She was yeah. doing some coaching with me before anything that I'm doing now became a reality. And they were these little cards, and you pull the card. And the one that I pulled for today talked about being childlike and that children are actually more connected to their intuition and more able to be vulnerable and real with their emotions because that's all they have is their intuitive yes. emotional responses and i think sometimes when people tell us we don't know something or we're being sophomoric sophomoric i mean not to throw shade on your friend throw shade on him <laughs> go ahead sometimes that can be the thing that can kill somebody's dream if they're not quite confident enough, if we're saying these things, right. we've got to be really careful no, about that. I've had moments in my life where people have either said something really encouraging 
to encourage me to go with my gut and my intuition. And then I've had periods in my life where people have said things to me like, you don't know, you don't know how to do that. That's not how we do that here. And there have been times where I've questioned and doubted myself because of that voice. Yeah. It's just an interesting thing to think about. One of the things that I really enjoy is I like to see people happy and doing what they love to do. And I do think my parents had some influence on that because growing up, they were always trying out different things. I mean, my dad was very passionate about his landscape architect business, kind of a workaholic, but very creative and very into what he was doing. And so I think that rubbed off on me. And then my mom always tried out different things. She had a cake business. She had a retail store for a while with fashion, and now she's doing interior design. Very, very creative. And they were always tearing up our homes. And like at one point I can climb through the kitchen floor down to the basement as a kid because they had everything torn up all the time like always recreating things they inspired me to be creative and try things do what you love to do and do what's fun for you early in our marriage i saw that derek being part of the family business there was something missing for him every three months he'd get really depressed and he would kind of go through this like really grouchy kind of inward phase i got pretty worried about him nobody else really knew this was going on it would happen at home he would just kind of go through these cycles and literally it became like every three months kind of go into a few day like downer mood and then he'd kind of pep talk himself out of it and he'd feel guilty and feel bad that he was grumpy we were laying in bed one night and I said, if you could do anything that you dreamed of doing, what would it be? And without hesitation, he said, I'd be a race car driver. And I'm like, okay. And I kind of went with what he did for a hobby at the time. He was actually a professional wakeboarder, but it was like a side thing from the responsibilities of the family business and what he was growing into with his dad because that was an amazing opportunity that was provided, you know, for him to buy into the family business. And he felt a lot of obligation and wanted to be good to his family. And when we had this conversation, he said without hesitation, he wanted to be a race car driver. So I said, well, what do we do? Do we sign you up for class? Like, how does this work? You know? And he goes, as a matter of fact, I've always wanted to do the racing school at Skip Barber in Monterey, California. And I said, well, let's sign you up to do it. So we signed him up for the racing course and we went down there with our little kids and we'd stay in the hotel and I would manage the kids. Some were in diapers and we didn't have Ryan yet, our youngest, but we had three girls. Three girls. Yeah, which is funny because they've been hauled to the racetrack since they were little kids, you know, and none of them were super interested in race car driving except for our middle daughter, Haley. She does downhill ski racing, but she's said a couple times she might like to try it. I'm good with Derek doing it for now. It's a lot. So that was how it started. And then in 2007, he did the learning races and all the stuff that you do with Skip Barber. And then there was like some gaps and then he raced for a guy and it wasn't terribly expensive at that level. We would just have to save up. We still now have debts. We're fairly conservative about how we look at it. A lot of people from the outside probably think, oh yeah, he can just write checks to go racing. But racing is so expensive and we are fairly conservative with how we manage our finances and don't feel right just spending, spending when we still have debt to pay. In 2007, he bought with another local guy, Tom Smirzinski who's really passionate about racing too. They bought a Chevy Cobalt and we are Chevy dealers. You know, we have the Chevy stores. So Derek was able to get a good deal on a body of a Cobalt and they shredded the whole car down to just the shell. And all these local volunteers started coming forward that liked Tom and liked Derek and they worked on the Chevy Cobalt and they built this car from scratch in Tom's garage out in Central Point. He had a log cabin out there and had this shop and they welded all the parts together and they did everything. And I didn't really know anything about mechanical stuff. I was used to being around landscape and machinery and stuff with my dad, but 
Watching this all come together, I said, I have to tell this story. And I have had a dream to film things for many years and did other little side jobs with film for local nonprofits. So I got together with Jackhammer Films. I don't know if you know Dennis and Rod. So the three of us produced together a teaser piece to sell the show about a grassroots Oregon team wanting to go race in the Rolex Grand Am series with very little budget. And we pitched it out there and the Warren Miller company picked us up. Actually, Warren Miller just passed away. He was 93 on January 24th this year. He did all of those amazing old ski films. So their production company picked up that show and tried to pitch it out there for us. And that was when Speed Channel was still around and all the others. We were running into some rights issues because I think it was NASCAR or one of the biggies owned the Grand Am series. And so they ran out of development funds and we finally decided, you know what, let's just take a break. And I just kind of gave up. I think I'd felt a little bit defeated. And ultimately I bought Dennis and Rod out of their portion of the project because I thought maybe I'll want to keep trying and I just didn't. And I, I think that's one of the things that's fueled Fast Life because he then sold out of the Cobalt race car. A few years later, a friend said, we're going down to this race at Laguna Seca in Monterey, this racetrack down there in Monterey, California. And you know, we'd love it if you'd come, we have tickets. And Derek called me, I don't know, I don't, I don't know if I should go. They've invited me to go, but having more responsibility at work, it was expensive and the Cobalt thing was challenging and we didn't quite make it. So when these guys called and said, we're going down to Laguna Seca to this race, Derek said, you know, I kind of want to go, but I know I shouldn't leave you and the girls. And TRG's there, the racers group, which is the team he currently races. And I've always had a dream. They're the North American Aston Martin team. I've always had this dream of driving for this team. And I said, well, you should go then. This all happened when we were on the way to see the Dalai Lama and Eugene. And he had all this guilt about asking to do this thing. I just got off the phone with him and said, that's it. He needs to be free to explore this. I made the plane ticket. He went down there with those guys and he got courageous and he went knocking on the door at TRG and they said, why don't you come and test? And this is a pro team. It's a winning team. They've won at Le Mans. Kevin has won at Daytona. His team has won multiple times at the Daytona 24. He's like an icon in the sports car racing world. Kevin Buckler, he's the owner of the team. Watching all of this and watching somebody who is sort of scared to even articulate their dreams actually take the baby steps to have the courage to go after their dream, I felt like that was a story that needed to be told because actually I was dealing with it too. I don't think it's all about women and men and the differences, but it is a male-dominated industry. So there is something mental that you have to overcome to have the confidence to put yourself out there as a woman filmmaker. And so I think there was just, these two stories went together really well in my gut. I felt like this is a story that needs to be told. How are we gonna do this? And what are the bumps in the road that we're going to experience along the way? How are we going to make our dreams happen? Are they going to happen? What are we going to do when we feel like they're falling apart or we want to give up? Like what happened before with the cobalt? Because I think I had a good chance of having that go forward if I would have stuck with it. And so I've been doing this Fast Life thing. People can find us on fastlife.tv just in case anybody wants to follow along with our journey. That is our website. And on there is a direct link to our show on Amazon Prime. So we actually now have a show on Prime. I got distribution last year. And what I'm most proud of is that both of us have stuck with these really hard things that we were really passionate about. And I feel like our story being out there might encourage others to do the same. I think determination is one of the most important key qualities that you can try to possess. 
So Fast Life, it's a show that's on Prime, and it's all about our family, and so all three of our girls have things they're passionate about. So the show is not only about Derek going after his racing career and trying to become a professional driver. I would say he's professional, but he's rated as an AM, which is for amateur, and he's a bronze-level driver now. But he is known in the professional world of sports car racing from this work that we show on Fast Life. So we show the progression of his drive to yeah. go after his dream. We show the family support and what it takes. The first year that he got a fully funded professional ride was 2015, meaning he had a sponsor. We had fraud, so we had sponsor fraud. What does that mean? It means that you go to the race, you think you have the year funded, and then you find out <laughs> that the bills aren't being paid. So the story of the fraud is actually in episode two or three. So the first episode really sort of encapsulates all the beginning years, kind of what the lead up was to get with TRG. So the story is about Derek's first professional funded ride, yeah. basically, and then everything that led up to it, and then now currently what's happening. There's so many ups and downs in the world of professional sports car racing, and now what's happening in the industry is a lot of gentlemen drivers are coming in, a lot of people that have the money to just pay to play, that right. can come in and drive are changing the whole sport for the drivers who are the little more seasoned drivers, the ones who've worked to become pros. I'm sure some people would argue this with me. I think it's scarier because you have people out there who are paying to be there. And then there is just more limited seats and limited sponsorship because things are changing in the world of advertising and sponsorship all across the board. And then we're kind of, I don't know if I'd call us pioneers with Amazon Prime, but my distributor, you know, and Derek and I just had a call the other day and he said, you know, even the publicists are trying to figure out how everything works and how Amazon works, where things are going with film. I mean, this is all a very new and how does it all work? So we're learning a ton, but I love to learn. So I'm embracing that. And my distributor has been so good. There was an editing mistake when the show first released. It turned out it was me. I thought it was Amazon. Something happened with the upload of the show. So we had to quick pull it down and quick send a new master. And I said to my distributor, I said, rookie mistake. And this is one of those moments where you know you're with the right person, not just because they tell you good stuff, but because they're encouraging in a way that doesn't make you feel shame or humiliated. And he said to me, you are not a rookie. We'll get this fixed. Two days, we'll be back up and running. I mean, that was an opportunity for somebody who is experienced to kind of put forth their ego and put sure. me in my place and tell me you should have reviewed that more. He was very kind and said, you are not a rookie, keep going. We have good ratings right now, 4.2 out of five. So anybody that watches, please, you know, if you like it, give us a review because it helps us. It helps us get found on there. It right. helps other people want to watch. I have gotten a couple of rough reviews and most are about production quality. I will say that I've had to work through that. But part of the thing was when the distributor came to me, I said to him, you know, look, I'm filming a lot of this on my iPhone with a gimbal and like an added mic because I'm a mom and I'm a wife and I'm trying to chase after my husband and I don't have time for a bunch of gear. That's okay. He said, keep doing what you're doing. That's the charm of the show. But those are the critical reviews I've gotten as they say, oh, it's amateur. Oh, it's, I think this is a time when women are really starting to feel a little bit more empowered to stand up and say that they deserve to be treated equally in the workplace, you no. know, just because you're not using some high-tech rig doesn't mean that you don't have a good story to tell or your voice shouldn't be heard. I've embraced the criticism. 
Kirk, my distributor, actually said, stop reading them. I can always improve. So I've called Sean McCoy, who's local here in Southern Oregon. He's an audio and sound mixer. He's a professional. As a result of some of the criticism, I've invited him to be the sound mixer now going forward. I'd like to urge people, if you are going to critique a show, just do it with kindness. And do it with intelligence. Yeah. If you're just going to be an asshole Don't shred people. So I think what we really need to do is we need to have conversation where there's a meeting in the middle. There is some version of compromise. I acknowledge you, you acknowledge me. My favorite quote is by Gandhi, be the change you want to see in the world. If everybody's being the change that they want to see, it doesn't really matter what somebody up here over there is doing. It's interesting. I've had my share of differences with my father-in-law because he's a very strong personality. He's a leader and he's used to being in control, you know, and running a really effective business. But right before I came on this podcast, I found a note that he had given me and placed inside of a camera bag probably 10 years ago. And it said, this should fit your iPad, your lenses, your camera body. I didn't even know he knew anything about all this stuff, but he took time to figure it out. And he gave me this really cool camera bag with a note. And then it said, love your second dad. I was really touched by finding that note because it reminded me that even though we've had differences just because I'm strong and he's strong, the gift that he gave me through that and also hooking me up with the Ashland Independent Film Festival. I was on the original board for that because he gave me a newspaper clipping about Doreen and Steve Wood who were starting that festival. And so those two moments amidst any differences that we had showed that he saw me. He saw what I was passionate about, what I loved, and he wanted to just in small ways encourage that and nurture that. And I think that's the biggest gift that you can give somebody is to pay enough attention that you see what they like and what they love. And especially if you're a whole person, you nurture something that somebody can do and then they can be in service to others because that's the biggest joy that we're going to find in this life is by giving our attention and giving our love to others. And so if what you do and what you're passionate about can do that in a way for somebody, it's a full feeling. You get that full, filled up, whole feeling that I think you're supposed to have, that joy. I had an uncle do that for me once. We were at Disneyland. I heard this band. It was called Alturas. It was the, what are those little flutes that the um, people play from the music from the Andes Mountains? It's like a pipe flute and they're all hooked together. I just was entranced by the music and my uncle was really into music himself. He actually, he taught Beck and Punky Brewster, Salil Moonfry. Yeah, he was a jazz musician. He played with Chick Corea. Married to Janie Get, accomplished musician. And I didn't know any of that till he passed away. We went down for his memorial service in LA, but he saw that I was entranced with this music and he bought me the CD, but he didn't give it to me till later. Kind of snuck over and bought it. And music is another thing I've been very much inspired by and I like putting it together with my films. And hopefully someday I can afford to have like a composer for everything. My friend Glenn from Florida is a composer, so he did our teaser trailer composition and we got to work together and I kind of told him exactly what I wanted and he created it It was the most satisfying experience and his name isn't really on anything yet because in the credits because he was on the teaser so I need to get him in the actual so goals you got to keep moving forward so anyway all right so where did you start what year were you born I was born in 74 74 yeah so I'm four what does that make me 43 I've kind of stopped counting you don't even know counting very 
Yeah, at one point I thought I was turning 40, but I was really turning 39, and my dad had to correct me. And I don't pay a lot of attention to age. No, I know. It's, it's silly. But, but it's 43. Especially after 40. Was well, it 43 or 44? It's 43, isn't it? Okay, I don't know. I, I think I'm 43. 74? 74 to now. I'm terrible at math. 74, 84, 94, 2004, 2014. You're 44 years old, and you're on Citizen it just, 44. It, oh, <laughs> perfect. It's meant to be. So, 74, where were you born? I was born in Orlando, Florida. Oh, what was that like back in 1974? Who knows? I was a baby, so That's I didn't right. really know. What were your parents doing? <laughs> Let's see. Gosh, my dad is an Oregonian. He's a native Oregonian. Oh. But my mom's family was from originally from Michigan, and then they moved down when they got their children were going they had three girls too my mom has two sisters okay. and so as the kids were getting older they moved to florida where it was warmer okay. so like a lot of east coasters do yeah, yeah, yeah. and had a beautiful home in longwood and so i grew up going to florida back because when i was one my parents drove across country to oregon in a volkswagen bus and i was swinging <laughs> times have really changed but they had me swinging from a bassinet. They rigged it up onto the ceiling of the Volkswagen bus, and I swung all wow. the way across country. Wow. And I survived. I'm still here. Of course so, you did. My parents um, used to smoke with the windows rolled up, <laughs> no seatbelts. Come on, forget it. My, my first adventure. And um, my parents didn't smoke, but I got to have an adventure in the bassinet cool. on the way across country. And then my dad started his landscape business here, and my mom missed her family a lot, so I got to go back to Florida a lot. Like, yeah. as kids, sometimes we'd fly... You know, just the two, because my dad worked a ton, so he didn't always go. Right. I don't remember my dad on very many family vacations. Huh. I'm close with him. I feel close to him. He's still around? Yeah. Both and my mom? parents are still married, cool. still around. Still He's married? Still a la landscape architect. My wow. mom's doing interior design. Uh, she works out of um, Parker Furniture in Portland, and huh. they're very creative people, and they're kind and loving, and they still come down for kids' birthdays, And but we miss them, and we miss yeah. having them with us all the time you know it's nice to have them around because they're nice they're good people and they're creative and like my mom likes to laugh a lot and i always like to laugh a lot and we have a good time and my dad's a little more analytical he's very much a peacemaker he's like a just a big grown-up hippie he used to do falconry and so he taught me the love of the outdoors. You know, yeah. he's big into birds yeah. and going out and hiking around and looking in the binoculars at the different wildlife. So cool. I also collect animals that have been hurt or abused. On our ranch, we have lots of animals that either would have been put to sleep or something else would have happened to them. So we, you're a rescuer. We take them in. <laughs> so you have a sanctuary. Well, Derek's kind of told me enough on the horses because horses can get very expensive. And... Well, you can talk to Equimore when you get too many horses. Yeah, and I know they do great work. It's valuable work because, again, humans hurt other humans by the things that they say and do, and they also hurt animals by taking on things for their own purpose, not thinking of what's good for the animal. Yeah. So it's unfortunate. If we don't love ourselves, how are we going to love our animals right. or our oceans or anything else? We just have to keep encouraging people to love everything more. Well, <laughs> I, I have this theory. I love everybody. I literally do. I, I feel love, that from you. I don't like everybody. That's but, not possible. But I do. I do. I love everybody because yeah. we're all just suffering in our own ways and doing our thing. And mm -hmm. it's not easy. No. My dad was from Oregon and my mom was from Florida. He brought her to Oregon. Okay. Where and did I was, your dad's family grow up? Uh, in Portland oh, area. Okay. My grandfather was a CPA and my grandmother, she used to be a, a theatrical performer. In San Francisco, 
and I think that was before my grandfather. She had kind of a rough relationship past prior to meeting my grandfather, but then she met my grandfather and he was very practical CPA and they had four boys and my mom's family had three girls. And so my Mm. dad and mom met, they actually met in Boston, then ended up in Florida and then to Oregon and brought me to Oregon when I was one. And so I was uh, raised in Portland area. And I went to high school in, in Portland. And now, what school for you? School was good. So I didn't really find what exactly I wanted to do until like senior year in high school. I had a leadership class and I did the senior video full project. I was really good at incorporating all the different people into the video. And so it was very popular. I feel like I was one of those people that took a lot of time to see people. And intermixed with our class, we had some developmentally disabled kids and Just everybody was included as much as I possibly could. I had a lot of heartbreaks happen in high school too. I had a boyfriend who I threw like my whole life into and he cheated on me and all my friends were around for that and they never told me and so I felt betrayed by everybody and I had bullying in high school. What was the bullying? We had to get the police involved. I was getting a lot of calls later at night and it was somebody threatening my life saying that they were going to kill me at school. And interestingly, I think that's what motivates maybe what I want to do to help with school safety. And I do have some ideas about that as a filmmaker. My parents had the Washington County Police Department trace the calls, and it was traced to a girl a year older than me with a boy who was in my class. And I had never had a problem with either one of those people. I'd never had like a a verbal altercation. I'd never looked at them weird or I was a nice person. I was selected as a target. Maybe they thought it was funny. It was pretty scary for me because I didn't know like if they would follow through or why they didn't like me. I just couldn't figure it out. She was like a bigger, tough kind of girl, like a soccer player and just older and I was pretty petite and small so I didn't know and then there was a a pair of twins who were also a year older in that same class that we used to go out to Savi's Island and I luckily I was with a couple guy friends and we go out there and hang out just friends would meet out there and one day the girls approached me on the beach and said you know we're gonna throw you in the water (laughs) I looking back on it now it's kind of silly because like I'm a lot stronger than I was then as far as like physically even doing CrossFit helped with that but it really shook me up because I was a kind-hearted person so I couldn't understand why would these girls team up like that and try to physically like come after me and luckily the guys that were there stood up for me and so nothing physical happened yeah and I had friends like just you're not my friend anymore and go off with another group and just the pain of that you know when you're trying to figure out who you are Ultimately, I think over time I worked through that. But there were a lot of things, actually. There's another one. In middle school, I got notes, and I think a girl had a crush on the boy who liked me at the time, who I had been friends with forever, but he kind of started liking me. And I think we figured it out that it was this girl. She was writing really nasty notes, like awful, awful mental things that, like, got in your head, you know, um, just accusing me of things that I was not and just... And they were notes, and they would be in my locker. So that started in middle school. The other stuff I told you happened in high school. And so all throughout school, I always tried to be so good, so nice, tried hard on my grades, like tried to do leadership type things. I always tried like way too hard. You were an overachiever, so people wanted to punish you. I guess. I don't know. I mean, I did certain things that weren't probably great either. I was a kid, you know, so you're learning, you're growing. 
I don't even have any animosity against any of these people now, but I am very much an advocate for kindness and bullying because there is a lot going on out there. And I just did a video and you can find that on runwithgrace.com. It was a a mother, Susan Holt. She's a teacher Mm -hmm. at Hedrick. Her Mm -hmm. daughter took her own life almost two years ago now. And the stories that she shared with me doesn't go in detail because I think you have to be careful with things like that. It's very heavy. People don't always know how to process. But when I sat and talked with her, she told me of a story and I'm not going to get specific because she was careful about wanting anybody to feel like this was their fault. But there were a couple of incidents that happened at her high school where people said things that were extremely cruel. When people are cruel, it's not always about you. But there was a few incidents that happened, and she didn't name anything as, this was an unusual situation. This girl was just dealing with what they thought was mild depression. They were getting her help, and clearly it was more than that, but nobody really understood or knew. This was a sad situation. They now do the run to honor her life because she was extremely kind. I feel like after hearing her story, she just had a kindness, and I understand it because... I felt like that was always at the top of my motives. And sometimes I was really misunderstood when I was being bullied, I felt like. And that was really painful. So I think we need to be careful, especially with kids, that we remember that everybody's dealing with life in a really different way. And with all the unkindness that we see in the media and the world and the lashing out at each other and on both sides, on all sides, it's not really helping our kids. And our kids are struggling to figure out how can they just get up and have courage to go to school and raise their hand in class, let alone what will happen if I'm not accepted into this group or what happens if a shooter comes into my school. And it's way heavier even than it was for me. And so I think we just need to be really paying attention and loving and, you know, I don't know. I, there's no easy solution. I have an opinion about school. I don't think boys and girls should be going to school together. It's pretty rough because it creates a whole nother dynamic. I mean, all of those bullying incidents probably had to do with a boy liking me. This girl like. They shouldn't have their cell phones in school. No way. Boys and girls should not be necessarily learning together because we're not emotionally mature enough to do that. I've read stories about these all-girls schools and they're turning out incredibly talented young women who are going out in the world and doing amazing things. I think the same thing happens with boys too is if you separate your hormones there, mm-hmm. there's more of a chance for children to, I think, have a different appreciation for the females once they do finally get together because they're old enough to be with a female. Mm-hmm. Again, these are just my opinions, but... It's an interesting I perspective. I think we're having a gender problem, mm-hmm. and it's getting worse. It's not getting better. I think that we all have a lot more power than we give ourselves credit for, and we should not take that lightly, and we should begin our day with what can we do to contribute healing to the world. And I think that's our responsibility as citizens of our communities. Ah, citizens. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that we could all stand to get back to being more civil with each other and acting with kindness and love. And if everything that we're doing is with the intention of kindness, then we can't help but create healing in everything that we're doing. And I do things with my girls because we've had a lot of experiences with bullying. I've had it throughout my life. Everything's more extreme. I mean, it seems like the school shootings now have become like a, it's like a, I don't know what the word is that I'm looking for. For some reason, it's become like a thing to 
to it's copy. It's like a fad. Yeah. That's what I was looking yeah. at. I don't know why that word it's was so trend. simple. It's, it's terrible to put those two together. So I've been working a lot with my kids. Before we started working on the cell phone sort of habits and things, we started with just when you go to school, look for somebody who feels left out. Look for somebody who looks sad. They're sitting alone and make it your job every single day to look for somebody. And you can do something as simple as smile, say hello, or you can go and sit with them and ask how they're doing. But make a point to reach out every single day, even if it makes you a little bit uncomfortable. That's okay, because everybody's dealing with something, and we just don't know what. And so I think my kids have acted in a way that they can be proud of. I see my kids as being very kind-hearted people, and I'm thankful for that. It's the most important thing you can teach, I think, it's, it's and the do. the most important thing in the world, period, <laughs> mm-hmm. is kindness. I agree. Kindness matters. My favorite hashtag. <laughs> Every day I wake up, and I have faith in God, so I ask God, you know, what can I do today to spread more kindness and more joy? And I'm not perfect. I mean, I've had moments where I've reacted. I've had moments where I didn't act in a way that I was proud of. You know, but we learn from those and we just keep trying again every single day and looking for ways that we can put good out into the world. And I feel like if I start my day, I have a morning routine. Sometimes I'll fall away from it and then I get back at it. This morning I got back at it and I wrote five things I was grateful for and I wrote my intentions for the day. And they're always about letting go and lead me to what I can do to be of service to the world in the way that I can make the biggest difference. Sometimes making a big difference is making just a little difference in one person's day. (laughs) Smile, letting somebody over, you know, people don't seem to do that very easily anymore. There's a lot of, you know. People are afraid. Yeah. Fear clouds dreams. It clouds anything that you can do that's good. It makes you busy with your own mind and protecting yourself and closing your heart down and all those things that make it so that we can't share our individual gifts. And I'm of the belief system that each of us is born with a specific gift and something that we can do that nobody else can do. And I just believe we all have those special gifts. And if we're closing ourselves down to protect ourselves, we're not able to share that because sharing requires courage. It requires vulnerability. It requires putting ourselves out there to be criticized by some of those people who are afraid. And so they criticize others, you know, and I'm finding that with the work that I'm doing right now with fast life is it's now out there for the world to critique and everybody has a right to critique it. But sometimes people can be just outright mean about it. So I brought today something that inspires me, which is my quote book that I carry around and I add to it. It's not very full yet, but I've started to get better about writing them down. And then this book, which was actually given to my mom in 1974, and it has six women in it. And I'm reading their stories one by one right now. I think I've read the stories before. They're familiar stories probably to a lot of people. So I think things like this, like if I could give advice to anybody, having symbols or things that inspire you, whether if it's quotes or like, for me, it's Wonder Woman, the strength of Wonder Woman and being a woman and being strong and tough. Having things like that with you, I don't know if they're sitting on your desk or a book like this that you can read just at night to be reminded Mm -hmm. of strong people that have done amazing things, giving things. I mean, Harriet Tubman, Elizabeth Blackwell, the story of Dorothea Dix, who advocated for the insane. 
you call it mental illness now. Back then they called it insane. And they put people in cages. And she was one of the pioneers who went around and she was told by one of her mentors, facts, facts, and more facts. So if you want to solve a problem, you have to go around and actually see exactly what's going on in your community in order to help fix the problem. Obviously, that's what journalism is. Going back and looking at these stories of how they accomplish these things. And I think we're still in that place. I mean, we're not putting people in cages anymore that are yes, unwell. Called jails. We have a complicated, complex problem, too. We have so many more things now that are influencing people mentally. Yeah. You know, media, a lot of information. Yeah. I saw a clip of a video game the other day where there was a car driving through and bodies were flying. And I said, I'm uncomfortable with this. Nobody commented on Twitter. Really? But as a mom... I'm uncomfortable with it. I'm not saying it's the only problem. I'm just saying this is a complex thing we need to keep looking at. And if everybody picks an area that they can help, we really can heal this problem. But everybody needs to do their job. (laughs) Anyway, so this sits on my bedstand and I read these stories over and over. I haven't read them all yet because I just found it in a box at my dad's. And then just a couple quotes that I carry around with me. Creativity Takes Courage by Henry Matisse. And the best way to predict your future is to create it. Abraham Lincoln. This is the first one. Be the change you want to see in the world. And then Steve Jobs. The people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. That's right. And I think it does take a little bit of crazy. Because a lot of people are going to tell you, we're never going to change this. It fuels you. Yeah. I just wanted to share those because I think we all need inspiration. Well, that was fun. We talked a long time. Approaching pit lane. Remember, loosen those lap belts all the way. Car in park, engine off, watch your pit speed. Sean, Mark, Nipper. Yeah. How do we actually know each other? It must be through Gary. Gary Kaut. Or Gary right. Lundgren. So fam. I think all that. How long have you been here? 15 years. Okay. You? I moved way about then. I grew up here. You were born and raised here? I wasn't born here. I don't, I don't have too many people were actually born here. Uh, Shay from the Rogue Suspects was okay. born in Ashland. Hmm. Is she that lead singer? Yeah. Oh my God. She is phenomenal. Absolutely you, you amazing. You didn't hear the show yet. It's no, my no. last show. Oh, okay. Her. All right. Yeah, I've seen her a couple of times. I'm just like, I, I'm having conversations. Like, it's supposed to be music in the background happening, right. but you're, you're just like, what the? Are you kidding me? Well, so, let's go to the beginning. Let's go back to the beginning. I uh, moved here in 75 uh, when I was By four yourself? years old. Uh, well, my parents moved here. They didn't even ask me. that We were living in Texas, and I just remember being in a really long car ride. And all of a sudden, we're showing up at Grandpa's house, and we never went back. Where was Grandpa's house? Top of Walker on Peachy Road. Yeah. Yeah, so... Where in Texas? Fort Worth, little town. I don't know if you've heard of it. Fort Worth? Yeah. Yeah, no, I was there. <laughs> okay. I went and visited my ex-wife who was working there. We went to the stockyards, uh-huh. and I ate calf fries. Nice. You see the movie Funny Farm? Uh-huh. With Chevy Chase, yeah. where he's eating calf fries to break the record <laughs> until he finds out what they are. Yeah. And he breaks the record, he spits the last one out. Lamb balls, ladies but, and gentlemen. They're yeah. delicious. I remember the last time I was there, somebody was at a bar and they they had a, um, a goldfish shot. Where they put a goldfish in a shot of tequila and then you drink it. What's the point? I guess, you know, to have that little funny feeling in your stomach. Oh, it's swimming in the yeah. thing? When they... Yeah, yeah. I'm glad if you live in Ashland. Yeah, Texas people, they're a whole it, it's, it's a different breed. on their own. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I don't like to tell people I'm from Texas. I'm from Ashland. Did you ever have a twang? Did you have to work mm. on twang? 
when I go back and visit, I develop it. You yeah. do? Yeah, yeah. Think about, you know, where's my gun? I didn't even have one. Uh, yeah, it's weird. Are um, your parents here? So, yeah, my mom and dad, we moved here uh, when I was five. Dad bailed. So, mom mostly raised me, you know, when she could. How many uh, others are there? Uh, just you? me. Yeah. Oh, just you're the only, only kid. Wolf? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, there was a place called Jasmine's Bar here in town, and her friends would go hang out there, and she would just uh, drive up, and I'd be in the back of the Gremlin until she was done. And sometimes I'd wake up, and I'd go in the bar and ask where my mom is. Wait a minute. She brought you to the bar and left you in the car by yourself? Yeah. I mean, I I think I was uh, seven or eight. She was an excellent mother. Right? Exactly. I mean, what else are you going to (laughs) do? Wow. You can't leave them with Grandma and Grandpa because they would, you know. That was safer than leaving you with grandma and grandpa to leave you <laughs> yeah. in the car alone in front of a bar. Isn't that scary? That is. I love wild. you, mom. I appreciate everything you did. And you could do that back then. Nowadays, it's looked down upon to leave your kids. Yeah, it's you know, called child abandonment <laughs> or child endangerment. Yeah, right. it's called jail time. That's right. Yeah, it's a little different. Yeah. Well, she was dating all the cops, so it didn't matter. It was cool. Was she really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember she got pulled over one time uh, on the way to school. I went to Walker, and uh, the cop leans down and kisses my mom. And I'm like thinking to myself, so is that how I have to get out of tickets? That yeah. Really oh yeah, absolutely. And so the first time I got pulled over, I was like, man, I don't know if I can do this. You're serious? Kiss the cop? Yeah. I mean, is that is that how you? That is so weird that you had all these strange fucking representations <laughs> of life. Man. I know. It's crazy. Yeah. How old your mom now? Uh, she's almost seventy. Yeah. How's she doing? She's doing great. Yeah. yeah she Does lives, she live in town? No, she lives in Medford. Okay. Which I don't really go visit her very often because I mean, who wants to go to Medford? She's your mother. I know. She Come but, on, she loved you. She left you in a car true. by yourself. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. I don't have any abandonment issues anymore uh, after years of therapy. Did but you? Uh, oh, yeah, totally. But, you know, I do have to go to Medford sometimes because yeah. if you want, just like, I don't know, socks or underwear, That's, you have to, no, no, you're absolutely you have correct, to go to Medford. I cannot buy them in Ashland. So I'm in a band. Yeah, what's your band name? It's called Effigy. Effigy? Yeah, yeah. Huh. It's so hard picking a band name. Uh, same guitarist, me, drumming, lead, lead singer. Oh, you're a drummer? Yeah. Oh, me yeah. too. Nice. We have a new bass player now, so we've been writing a bunch of new songs. We've got a bunch of old acoustic songs that I used to sing, and now we're making them uh, rock songs or electric songs, I guess you could say. So we have our first show coming up on first Friday, April 6th at Road Coworks. Cool. What's the name of your band again? Effigy. Effigy. Yeah. yeah. What's that word mean? Uh, there's a couple different meanings. One is burning down a statue, so right. Burning Man. Um, you can take that connotation. There's also people that are born under the number eight, so I'm, you know, August. Uh, it's uh, the number of infinity. So I did this to my arms. And what is this that? This says November 11th, which is 1111, because I see that's that. That's my ex-wife's birthday. Is that right? Well, yeah, that's, I, I see 1111 all the time, Every too. single day. Yeah. I mean, I see the 44. Yeah. And by the way, if you listen to my show with Dr. Rick, he explains physiologically why that phenomena occurs oh man i can't wait to hear i did a little research and i just found on the internet because that's where you go if you want to find out anything in the world yes uh that 11 11 is the most powerful number in the world but somebody says but they say that when you see that there are 1001 angels standing by ready to do your bidding so they are paving the road to the things that you want right your desires and i yeah. feel like anytime you come up with something any time you have an idea that's the moment that it's actually created and it's the journey to get to that moment like nothing ever happens by chance and so when i do see eleven eleven, i always kind of take inventory in the moment what am i trying to produce what am i trying to create what am i trying to make for myself and focus on that and then let it go. Like when I did my movie, I, I saw the whole thing in my head before it was ever on the timeline. So 
Yeah. What is this movie? Oh, so this movie is called Life Adjusted. Uh, I finished it in 2016. It started out being about this one specific chiropractor that was a mentor to my wife. And it turned out to be a story about a horse that was severely abused physically and mentally and had an amazing transformation through chiropractic. Through chiropractic? Yeah. Yeah. So this guy works on horses. And this specific horse, Dizzy, who it's crazy because I was working on this movie for five years. I was traveling down in the Bay Area. I was going to Florida. I was going to Colorado. I was going to Georgia and just following this doctor. In the beginning, when we had the meeting, I'm like, I want to tell the story of chiropractic through an animal's perspective because uh-huh. people don't trust people. I could tell you, you know, I could hire actors and they could say, hey, I got digested and I feel better. But nobody's going to believe that. But if you could see the transformation in an animal on screen, you see the switch where you can't touch this horse. You can't get near it. And then all of a sudden this horse is walking up to you. And that's what happened. Huh. I mean, it's it's amazing. It's to see everything I wanted actually happened. Wow. Yeah, it was really cool. Nice and manifestation. The, right? And so working on this movie for five years, I moved back to Oregon. I ended up meeting a lady that has a horse rescue, and she had the horse. And I said, well, can we come out and film this horse? And I said, you know, I asked her first. I said, do you have a horse that was, you know, had, had a rough go? And she goes, yeah. oh, sweetie, I've, I've got the horse. And so this horse was its mother. <sighs> A night where she was beat up by her husband so bad that she had to go to the hospital. And when she was taken off in the ambulance, the husband took a baseball bat out into the stables and killed this horse's, horse's name is Dizzy, killed Dizzy's mother and Dizzy's aunt in front of her with a fucking baseball bat. Holy cow, man. And so Dizzy got hit a few times and then jumped out of the uh, In-N-Out barn, ran down the road about a mile, and then got wrapped up in barbed wire and wasn't found until the morning. Holy cow. And that was eight years before we got a chance to to hang out with this horse. So this horse was, you can't get near it. You'd have to like sedate it. Oh, totally, yeah. And so that happens to us, though. We we get traumatized, whether it be physically, mentally. You know, we get in a car accident. And, and you know whatever but I didn't want to tell the story of hey go see your chiropractor because you got in a car accident go see a chiropractor because you want to be clear so that's the story I told as a matter of fact I took out all the the interviews that I had with doctors that were just like oh chiropractic is always the last resort and they you know they're offended I'm like no this is not a negative I want it to be as positive as possible sure. So I took out the word subluxation, except for once. Took out Sub, subluxation because chiropractors say, "Oh, you're subluxated." And people are like, "What does that what mean? What the hell?" Uh, it just means you're you're not out of you know, alignment. I mean, yeah. Why right? don't they just say that? Right. <laughs> exactly. What the fuck is with the crazy word? I know it. We're I know it. Confused. And I met so many chiropractors that are they're their own worst enemy. Unfortunately, we need them so much, but they bicker. Some want to you know in, introduce. Uh, drugs into chiropractic. It's like, no, that's what not chiropractic is. So it was interesting to go through this process to try to tell the story of chiropractic when they don't know how to tell the story themselves. I'll give you a copy of the movie so you can... Please. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So that was my first feature-length documentary. And then uh, in the meantime, I'm not working on that. I'm working on television commercials and people's web videos and such. So did yeah. you enter that into the film festival? I did. And? I did not get in. And the reason I was told is that I screened it for SOFAM, uh, Southern Oregon Film and Media, yeah. and some close friends. And since it had already screened, it is ineligible to, uh, to be played. Because yeah. a few people saw it, now yeah. it can't be seen? Yeah, I'm not bitter at all. Actually, I am, I am a little bitter. Yeah, and then I just did a thing for the Ashland Chamber, a little mini-documentary about art in Ashland. I call it Hands, and uh, unfortunately, they didn't have room for that one either. I think they're really focused on getting stuff from out of town. They do have a local section, though. And that's what I applied for, but... Was anybody else in it? Uh, you know, Mig Windows. Oh, yeah. She, she finally got accepted. Yeah, she's fun to work with, too. Okay, let's go back. Okay. So you're born in Texas. Mm-hmm. And how old are you when your dad cuts out? My dad bounced when I was five. 
Do you know why? Yeah, he met a hot chick at uh, SOU. Or no, it was SOC, I think, at the time. So you moved here, and as soon as you got here, he cut out after you got here. Yeah. So clearly things were not going well before you left. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not, yeah. Huh. yeah. Okay. How'd your mom do with that? Uh, she was not happy. Yeah, yeah. She was bummed. Was it unexpected? Yeah, I think so. I think he met a chick. Uh, he was taking a couple classes at the college. And, yeah, I remember the day that he packed up his Honda Goldwing... And I remember grabbing a box of Nilla wafers and I was sitting there eating them in the bushes when he drove away. And I was like, wow. And then I remember uh, right behind the, the old beanery, there's a bunch of like... Uh, trailer park. Yeah. And so he stayed there for a while. So I would walk in and, and hang out with him for a little bit on my way home from school. And then he moved back to Texas. So I flew on a plane my first time by myself at six years old going to visit my dad in Texas. And that's where they grab all the kids and they take them and put them in a room at the airport until the next plane would show up and then they'd, they'd bring you out. I just remember being in a big white room and, you know, I got little delta wings on my oh, chest. Oh, you got the wings? <laughs> yeah, I got oh, the wings, cool. yeah. Um, that's where you can go and hang out in the cockpit, you know, yeah. with, with the with the pilots. So, yeah. yeah, I remember that. And then uh, that's where I'd, I'd get my Texas accent for three months and then right. come back and, you know. How'd it go when you went to visit him? Oh, he wasn't there. He was... Uh, he wasn't there? <laughs> yeah. You went all the way to Texas to see your father and yeah. he wasn't there? Never. Never. So what happened? I hung out with my cousin. Yeah, we just hung out in, uh, you know, swimming pools and chased rattlesnakes and, and tarantulas and stuff like that. Wow, so, man. Yeah. Have you heard from him since? So they divorced when I was, let me see, yeah, pretty, pretty shortly after that, I think. And then when I was 13, my dad moved back to Oregon and moved into my grandpa's house. So here's my mom's house, same driveway, my grandpa's house. So You were yeah, neighbors. Yeah, exactly. And so then when I was 14... I remember being in Medford, and we just walked out of having food. My mom and dad were hanging out, and then my dad drops to one knee, and off in the distance I hear somebody playing bagpipes, like the beautiful sunset, and my dad proposed to my mom. They got remarried when I was 14. What? Yeah, yeah they worked it out. So I, I had to be, or I, I guess I got to be a child of divorce, and I still have my same parents. Are they together still? No, well, they would be. When I moved uh, to Bay Area in 21, moved back three years ago, almost four, uh, my dad passed away like three months after I moved back. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and it's, it's a good testament. So you, you can't be 70 years old, smoke cigarettes, smoke a pipe, and sit in front of your computer and never move, move? your body. Yeah. And so he just, you know, his body shut down. Yeah, and it sucks because he was a brilliant computer mind. He had Microsoft calling him like, hey, how do we fix this problem? He was one of 25 like super high-end Microsoft guys never got paid for what he was worth at all but I, right. we should have froze his brain like you know unthought wow. like in so 40 50 years that, I would say but I kind of ran from it because I was like ah computers you know you left me I don't want anything to do with what right. you're doing you know and what do you do all day I'm around computers yeah constantly yeah, yeah. all I do is look at you know if but I'm not looking on the through creative side you're not on the mathematical right. side of right 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 huh yeah Oh, I'm so sorry. That's yeah. so, what a great story that, yeah. that you got him back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we had a really great relationship. You know, it took a while. I mean, he comes back, and I'd, I remember I'd come home from school, and I'd toss my books on the couch, and I'd be heading out the door, and he's like, hey, where are you going? I'm like, oh, I'm going to my friend's house. And he's like, no, 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 no. you're going to do your homework. And I'm like, what? So there's a lot of lectures and a couple of physical altercations that, you know, I think just happened. How know? long did it take for you guys to regroup? I think when I was 17 or 18, when I was 18, I went to the store for Father's Day, and I bought a box of Nilla wafers. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> I know, right? And I said, Dad, I owe you this box. Hmm. Yeah. That's pretty beautiful. Thank you. Huh. Yeah. He didn't get it at first when I explained it. 
we had a really good connection. And so to lose him was, was, was a bummer. And I think the moment it hit me the biggest, and I'm sure there's people that are listening have lost loved ones, and there's that moment where it really hits you. And I used to drive down to the Bay Area, and I would talk to him the whole time. And I grabbed my phone. I was going to dial him, and I was like, oh, man. But then something goes, he's right here. Oh, boy. Man. Yeah. What was his name? Ted with two Ds. Ted Nipper. Ted Nipper with yeah. two Ds. Yep. Teddy. I think it was Teddy when he was younger. Huh. So, yeah. Where's, where's he from? Texas. Born and raised. family down yeah, the yeah. road? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What was his job? Well, he was in the Navy. And then right after that, he got into computers. And so I remember him bringing home one of the first Apples. Like oh. Apple II, I think, is what he got his hands on. And I just remember the green screen and the, you know, 10 colon dot dot, you right. know, the whole programming stuff. And then, yeah, he was he just always, ever since it was a home computer, you could take home. He was so was he that. working for somebody in the computer You know, industry? he should have been. He worked for Kodak for a while over yeah. there in Medford um, as a contract. He did really good. He networked all 650 of their computers in a month when they were, for years, they couldn't Holy figure it cow. out. They yeah, didn't know what just... Ethernet was back then, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was magical on the computer. People call him, and he could, like, listen on the phone and go, oh, this is what you need to do. I'm like, how do you do this? And so he's such a giver. And I think that's where I get a lot of my, if I got money, I'll, I'll spend it. Because yeah, I'm yeah. like, I want everybody, hey, you want, you're hungry? Come on, let's go. Yeah. But he would just never charge for anything it was worth. And so, you know, I think someone said, uh, if you're good at something, never do it for free. He never heard that. But selflessness pays off in the end. Indeed. That's Indeed. why I'm broke. <laughs> Almost all the time. Yeah. I've accepted it as part of, okay, I mean, I have everything I need. Yeah. But I've surrendered to yeah. that whole freaking out about stuff anymore. Yeah, yeah, I don't freak yeah. out about it anymore. There's no. no point. Well, the only moment is you have right now. Look at, I live in this very yeah. cute place. This is awesome. Downtown Ashland. I'm sitting here chatting with you. Yeah. Do I look like I'm having any trouble? No, this no. is awesome. You just got off a great trip from Thailand again. Exactly. I mean, hello. Come on. Yeah. I get what I need when I need it. Yeah. You know, I grew up really religious. My mom's devout Christian. And once I didn't have to go to church anymore, that's the moment I didn't go. Which is sad because I got some of my best drugs from the pastor's son. He had all the good stuff. And the, really? and the pastor's daughter, yeah, oh man, whatever you needed. And so that was a bummer. I lost my uh, connection uh, when I stopped going to church. <laughs> Chemically and spiritually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I realized that, you know, you use different verbiage and you mean the same thing. And truth is truth. And so you can say God, you can say universe, you can say infinite power, you can say, let's, you know, light whatever it is, but in the Bible it says we're all made in the likeness of God. Well, we're all creators. Well, we are. We're all creators. And so when you say it, like when you decided, I'm going to go to Thailand, did you have the money right then to do it? Did it take some time to get it together? There's the idea, I'm going to Thailand, and then there's the work. Like you can't just lay around. Opportunities will present themselves, but you got to be standing in that direction. So what are you doing now? I'm working with a director producer out of california so he's based in sacramento i think he's moving to austin though because he went there for a trip and he's like this place is awesome we can shoot movies for super cheap here so uh, i just finished a movie with him last year so we finished it a december a year ago so 2016 we reshot the ending in 2017 and that's a movie called between the trees about four guys that go off to a cabin to go hunting one of the guys is cheating with his cheating wife. with another guy's wife? Yeah. yeah. And so he's going to take care of all these guys because he thinks they all know and didn't oh. tell him. And then there just happens to be like a, the hills have eyes kind of monster in the in the woods that starts taking him out before he gets a chance to. Oh, so, yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. So that's Between yeah. the Trees. That's in post 
It's almost done. I was working as AC on that one, so as uh, assistant camera on that one. I want to be his director of photography for his next movie, though. That's coming up in April about a lady that lives in a town, and she's stealing all the children, and nobody, nobody even knows. I don't know how that happens, but the script is done. They're rewriting just a little bit, and then we're going to start shooting in April on that one. And then he's also doing another movie called Cabin 28, which is the Ketty murders that happened down in Kirby next to Chico. And that was like in the 80s. I don't know about that. Yeah, yeah. So brutal, brutal murder um, of a family in this cabin, Cabin 28. And so you you can go on YouTube and you can just do Cabin 28 and it'll pop up. There's a bunch of documentaries that have been done about it. Never solved the murder. And it's a bunch of, you know, crazy stuff that the cops are in it. There was some child trafficking and some weird stuff that happened in this little tiny town. And so that has been adapted into uh, a narrative. And so that's where we're going to shoot in October in Klamath Falls, actually. Cool. So, yeah, out at uh, Odell Lake. Yeah, so in the meantime, when I'm not shooting television commercials, I'm working with Mount Ashton right now. I'm doing some stuff for them. You might see a commercial of a guy sipping a coffee cup, and then he drops the coffee cup, and we shot it in a 1,000 frames a second, falling. And then the whole time the coffee cup's falling, you hear zippers and skis getting put together and a car starting and driving away by the time the, the coffee cup hits the ground. So, yeah. Whose concept was that? That was mine. Oh, very yeah. nice. Recently just got a drone. I was paying somebody to, to fly it, and then I found out that he didn't have a license. And so I'm like, like, I'm not supposed to use this footage because, you know, if I'm using footage to get paid yeah. for a client, it has to be flown by a licensed FAA oh, drone pilot. And so... I bought a little toy with the spark, the little tiny thing, and oh my god, it is so fun. And I'm like, I'm doing this myself. How's the quality? Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, and now I just bought a new one called the Mavic Air, and it shoots 4K, 30 frames a second, HD, 120 frames a second, so you can get these slow motion aerial shots. Phenomenal. And I'm actually working with the SOU right now. I'm shooting a different video for each one of their majors, so I have 33 videos to shoot for them I've already done three so, so yeah you're doing well oh yeah yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm doing extremely well that's yeah, really yeah. great man. I'm staying busy and what's great is I get to be creative and I've hired editors now so I have people editing the footage and so my job is to get the client come up with the idea shoot it hand it off hand it off and shoot another one genius yeah. yeah so you can keep shooting absolutely that's all I'm doing if I'm not sitting on my computer I'm out shooting you know you love so, shooting right oh, man, that's the best part that's the best part yeah yeah I know the stories told in the editing and that you know this right. this story will be told in post right, that we're recording course, now but to be able to come up with the concepts and that's all I wanted to do I wanted to be the idea guy and I guess that's what I get to do as like me I get to do what I want to do yeah even yeah. if it doesn't pay me I don't really care I still get to do what I want to do which you can't put a value on that right well I imagine now that you ask the universe for some cash something's going to happen where somebody's going to hear this and they're going to want to sponsor the show now exactly. it's an amazing podcast I love it's listening to it and I'm, I'm honored that I get to be a part of it So tell me what it was like growing up in this area. You know, I loved it. I loved riding my bike because I lived at the top of Walker on Peachy Road, and I would ride my bike all the way downtown. I would ride my bike out to the lake. I mean, it was just, it was so fun, and and having Lithia Park, what an amazing stomping ground. Just There was a time in my life where I was on a goal, a mission to swim in every single one of the pools in town, at every one of the hotels. And so How old I was, were you when you came oh, up with this idea? Junior high, yeah. A couple of them, we would we would find that they had vending machines. You could put your arms up in there, and you could snap all the Coca Colas and Dr Pepper. Which oh, places were those? Uh, on the strip near Subway. Anyway, so um, the uh, <laughs> I did it. I got all of them except for one, and the one that I didn't get into was Stratford Inn because that one's indoors, and the pool door is right next to the main desk there. Oh, right. And so we never risked it to like just bum rush it, run in, hop right. in and out. 
But when I moved back, someone had a pool party at the Stratford Inn. Check that out the list. Nice. Got them all. So nice. You know, that was a fun time. And then uh, just terrorizing the town. Then you'd go to Medford if you had a car and you'd go and cruise. Back then, you know, Medford had, they would just drive around in circles in Medford. Oh, like I mean, we cruised Van Nuys Boulevard? Oh, right, right, exactly. Yeah, that's all got down What night was that going on? Uh, Friday night. Huh. And when I always thought that this would be a great town to cruise in because you get this big, long strip. Oh, you can yeah. only do 25 miles an hour. So what an amazing, Kids don't you know, know about that. No, no. So I ended up getting a 72 Land Cruiser one time. And I used to hang out with this guy in Medford. He had a 72 Land Cruiser, but he had a Corvette engine in it. I tried oh, like to race him. Like a 427 him. in it? Yeah. Holy it was shit. ridiculous. And so there's one night we were going out four-wheel driving. We're going to go Buckhorn Springs. We needed some gas. And so we said, hey, out here at this gas station, there's a bunch of old U-Haul trucks. Let's just go siphon the gas. And somebody called the cops, and we got busted. And I got pulled out of the car, and I had to do a breathalyzer, but he couldn't tell that I'd been drinking because I blew a, a 92 octane. Octane? That's oh. a, yeah. <laughs> and so I ended up going to court. I got arrested because I couldn't pay my fine. Judge, I think he's a lawyer now, Judge Drescher at the time, yeah, Alan Drescher? Yeah. Yeah. He said, you're in custody because you can't pay, and I ended up spending two nights in jail. How old were you? This was New Year's Eve, 1992, so what does that make me? I was, I think I was 22. I had all kinds of parties I was going to go to that night. I ended up going to a party. It was a really big party, a uh, room full of 30 guys, and I picked the bunk right above the biggest, meanest son of a bitch in there. I didn't know it at the time. I just remember just like, I was freaking out. I'm 21, you know. And then they said, hey, by the way, just so you know, there's somebody that got arrested in here for having sex with a dead deer. I never found out who that was, but, I, you know, we had a few jokes, like one of the fine was, you know, 10,000 bucks. Um, you know, that's a lot of dough. Anyway, and, and how do you get caught for that? How, you how must do you... have left semen somewhere on the deer. Yeah, you just roll up on some dude and you just, I mean, wow. I've never yeah. even heard anybody fucking a dead deer. It's amazing, yeah. I've never heard anybody fucking a live deer either. Right, so. right. Well, maybe it's a Medford thing. I don't know. Could be. I remember the guy walks over and says, who the fuck is this on top of my bunk? And I turn around, and it's the guy that used to own the Land Cruiser with the Corvette engine. Though I used to race him downtown. Yeah. And I recognize him. I'm like, hey, you got a Land Cruiser, right? So do I. I used to, and he turns around and he goes, nobody messes with this kid. You mess with him, you mess with me. Wow. You fucking saved your own life right. really quickly. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. I still didn't ever take a shower for those two and a half days that I was in there. Well, of course not. And uh, New Year's Eve, we had cornbread, rice, and, and chili. And so about midnight, that kicked in for everybody. And so we had our own fireworks. So, yeah. So I got, I got to go to jail, which was, uh, you know. Is that your one and only time? Yeah. So far. That's enough. Yeah. yeah. I saw the inside. I saw the chair that they strap you in so where if you're too much trouble. They take the back seat of a cop car that has, like, the, the armholes yeah. if you're cuffed. Yeah. They just have one of those sitting in there. And so, yeah, a couple guys got a little mouthy, and they came back with black eyes and, and you know, fat lips. Where were you Jackson, held? Jack and Johnny. Okay. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, so I will not do that. Well, and that's, I know that's how you know. Yeah. I know what they call the cooler, too. I mean, it is cold Fucking in cold. there. I got taken in from a Kiss concert when I was 17 for throwing up all over a lady cop. <laughs> and uh, and I remember how shitty it was, and I think I was just in my underwear and on a concrete floor, yeah, and yeah. it was fucking terrible. No, no socks, yeah. No, it. and you know what? It was the best thing maybe that ever happened to me, and I didn't realize it until a couple of years ago. I started saying thank you to whoever it was who arrested me because you know you need to know sometimes what you don't want so right. you cannot go back there. Right. 
Exactly. And so that's what I had was a fantastic lesson on jail is not good. This is not good. Not good. Yeah. Don't go back. Nope. And I did in a holding cell for about 20 minutes. Okay. I was riding my motorcycle down Van Nuys Boulevard and I was wearing an angel flight suit and I didn't have a key for an ignition on the bike and I didn't have a side view mirror hmm. and I got pulled over by a cop and he pulled me over for not having a side view mirror and I got him mad. Some people were walking by and I said, yeah, I'm getting arrested for not having a side view mirror. So he called to have a car pick me up, and I told him, I go, God, that guy was such a dick. They said, well, he's part of the Charlie Hill gang. They're just motorcycle cops that are out there to literally just bust people. Wow. This is what the policeman in the, the car told me. Yeah. Then they took me back, and they put me in a holding cell, and they came back about 20 minutes later, and they said, is your name Mark Ehrensburg? I said, yeah. They said, did you get a ticket for hanging your ass out the window on Van Nuys Boulevard last year? I said, uh, yeah. They said, get the fuck out of here, and they let me go. Wow. So that's how you get out of jail. Yeah. I, I, I Yeah. Yeah. You okay. Good to... lesson. So, because when I was, you know, I, I thought you had to kiss a cop if you, you know. No, no. If you but, just but hang, hang your hang out house. the window as a cop is driving by, that's equally as good as, as <laughs> nice. kissing an actual officer. Yes. So. <laughs> Brilliant. And I didn't say kiss my ass. I, I just have, literally, I could see the slow yeah. motion of pulling my butt down yeah. in my friend's 72 Chevy Love and watching a black motorcycle cop pull up next to me and pull us over. And, and, and give me a ticket. For not wearing a seatbelt. Well, not wearing pants. <laughs> so how'd you do in school? Um, so I did horrible. I started out at Walker School, kindergarten, and then half of first grade. And then I went to Christian school that was at Faith Tabernacle that's now gone. There used to be a big church on Faith Avenue down here. It was a Christian school, and they had all around the room, everybody faced the wall, and they had these dividers that came out about two and a half feet so you couldn't see the next person and so you had these little magazines that you would read this page it's called self-paced learning paces and you read two pages and then flip it over and then answer the questions and so if you needed help uh, understanding science and math and english you put a little flag up and depending on what color flag you had that would determine how many memory verses you recited perfectly on Thursday afternoon. You always, every Thursday... These are religious to... verses you're speaking Right, yeah, yeah, Bible. So I always go with the, uh, the shortest ones I could find. Jesus wept. That was one of my favorites. I always had the yellow flag, which is the lowest version of memory. And if somebody had a green flag, which was the top... They put their flag up, they leave you. They don't finish with you. The teacher would go and... It's like an emergency flag. Right, yeah. It's like, oh, this person needs help. Yeah. And like, oh, can I go to the restroom? Yeah, great. And so I would stare at the wall. And this is first, second, third, fourth, and then they held me back fourth grade again in this Christian school. And by the time third and fourth grade, I was getting beaten every single week at the, on home. Fridays by the pastor because I didn't do homework and I was in detention all week. Is this the same pastor who son you are getting the stuff from? No, this is a different pastor. No, this is the pastor that my mom outed for sleeping with her best friend. And so unfortunately, I was bullied because the families would be talking about how dare Jeanetta Nipper you know, out this this information. And so I was the asshole now at school. Oh, and to this day, I can't go on a merry-go-round because they got me stuck on the merry-go-round. All the big kids spun it until I passed out oh my God, on the merry-go-round. So I can't do those spinny. And so then after getting out of that school and going to Walker for fifth grade, it was so crazy to just sit there in a room with everybody. I could see all the students. We're all here together. Yeah. And there's the teacher. And, and what do we do? Oh, this is handwriting. Okay. Uh, and reading. Weird. And spelling. Yeah. You were only doing Bible verse stuff in your yeah. previous mm -hmm. educational experience. Yeah. 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 And so, so this was real school and you had no knowledge of yeah. school. I had, I had no, I had, I had no idea what was going on. 
It's so hard for me. And so they put me in special, the special classes. Oh, he needs help. He needs extra attention, which I did. But I was smart. I, yeah. I, you know, I could, they give me the little, you know, tests and I'd pass them flying colors. You know, I could hear him outside like, I don't know what's wrong with him. He seems to do fine. I'm like, I can hear you. You know, I'm right here. Yeah. So, oh uh, so it was a challenge. And so I actually ended up dropping out of school three months before I was supposed to graduate. So 1990, I should have graduated. I dropped out. Went to work at Binion's Eye World for six months, and then I moved to Hawaii. You went to Ashland High School? Yeah, yeah. It was cool. I was I was in drama, so I wasn't a sports kid. I was always I was always in plays and, and different things like that. And then I worked it out so I had PE twice a day and two drama classes. So it was great Sounds for me. That's about right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I wasn't walking around in character all the time like some of the drama students. I'm like, well, you know. Is that real? Yeah, it happens. It happens. Yeah, kids, you know, with the long overcoats and they're always in character. They all think they're Jim Carrey? <laughs> exactly, all the time. I'm like, you're not in class anymore. You can be. I actually got along with everybody. So I got along. I was, I was at all the parties. You know, I partied on every single street in this town, I think. I was always invited. I got along with everybody. Hmm. So I wasn't like a, an outcast. I was, it was interesting. I got along with just pretty much everybody. So, and which I do Hawaii? now. Yeah, I moved to Hawaii. It, it was one of those things like a buddy of mine said, hey, I'm 17. I have to move to Hawaii because my mom's going there for her boyfriend. Do you want to move with us? And I said, well, let me think of yes. I'll go. What did <laughs> so, your mom say about that? My mom and dad? Oh, they were bummed. Yeah, they were sad to see me go. But I'm like, ah, I've been in this town. I'm sick of these overcast clouds and dumb mountains. i got to get out of here. And so I went to another place that has overcast clouds and, clouds and mountains. mountains. But it was warmer most of the yeah. time so how was it i loved it oh how man there? i was there the first time almost two years moved there with 100 bucks in my pocket and moved back almost two years later with 100 bucks in my huh. pocket so yeah what did you do while you were there start out at a rental place for like uh, alamo or something and we would wash the cars and then we'd drive with them from one side of the island to the other and i was on the big island so i would be in like ford gt 5.0 convertibles and lincoln town cars which were super fun there's right. a boat and so we just drive two hours Hop in a van, come back, get another car, drive two hours, hop in a van, another van. What a great job. Oh, it was awesome. Like a taxi with no customers. Super awesome. Then I got a job working at Red Sail Sports at this big hotel. So my job was to hang out at a beach, a mad main beach, and rent out beach toys to people. Paddle cats and little, you know, things you can float on and snorkel gear. And I worked 10 hours a day, two days a week, off one day, two days. Never worked three days in a row. And so the rest of the time I was... You know, high as a kite, drinking Budweiser and hanging out at the pool. And then moved back a couple years later to Hawaii and got the best job in my life ever on Oahu, working as a scuba diver in a three-story aquarium. What? Yeah. It's down there in Waikiki Beach. Yeah. Further down, the Pacific Beach Hotel has a three-story aquarium. Top floor is a restaurant, second floor is a restaurant, and then the bottom floor is like a, a buffet. And I would scuba dive and swim, and I'd bring the stingrays across the window and, you know, I'd bring the eel that was blind. I'd bring Earl up and show him to people. You were like SeaWorld in a yeah, hotel? Yeah. yeah. But I had to lie my ass off on a resume to get a job, even that one. Because I literally went to every single, and when I say every single, every single hotel in Waikiki, and there's a lot of them. I went to every one, and I couldn't get a job because I was a Howley boy. And so I ended up lying my ass off on my resume. The only thing that was true and accurate was my name, my address, and my phone number. Everything else was a complete fabrication. What would you put on there that actually got you the job? I said that I joined the Peace Corps for almost two years, but war broke out in Rwanda, and so uh, I wasn't able to finish my full stint, so that way there's no actual record of me being. How did you even know to come up with such a Oh, my roommates. Oh, my roommates, like, he was brilliant. He's like, ah, this is what we need to do. And he goes, and then you went to college in in Hilo for a political 
political science and that's that one and then uh, oh you work at this hotel that's now bought by somebody else so we'll have no record of you working there and uh, so yeah the whole thing and actually people really liked the whole Africa thing so I had to you know embellish that story yeah. every time and it got better like oh he saved the village from a lion attack one what? one year and <laughs> You know, we found water, you know, finally after digging for, you know, six months, we found water and... So you were a hero. That made oh, yeah. To yeah, be a totally. hero. yeah, yeah. So I finally got a job as a scuba diver in a three-story aquarium. Best job. Nine bucks an hour. I would do three dives a day and uh, sometimes five and just hang out in Waikiki. That's it. That was yeah. your job. That's my job. Yeah, go down and feed the fish and then do show dives. You know, we'd paint with grease pencil like Aloha or Happy Birthday. So the one time I put you know, will you marry me? And I'm like, God, I'm going to mess this up. I know it. I know I'm going to mess this up. And I go down and I grab the sign and I put it up at this beautiful couple's table. And the guy looks at it and he goes, I thought he swallowed his fork. And the wife or the girl looks at the sign. Will you marry me? She's like, she starts crying. He's like, no. And I see this other table like, it's over here. (laughs) I put it in the wrong. So I did screw it up. Ooh, let me just move it over here. So I have no idea how many photo albums I'm in from the guy in the pool, you know, swimming around with the fish. That's wild. Yeah. I can't even imagine such a job. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Super fun. So you did that for a couple years? Well, that was about nine months. It was hard living in Oahu and like nine bucks an hour, you know, part-time job. What year was this? This was uh, 93. Oh, that's no money. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it was expensive it was, there, isn't it? Very. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. My rent, my part was five hundred bucks. So and how'd you make it? I didn't. I ended up having them. Oh. I had to come back. Yeah. And I worked at Harry and David here, which. What'd I, you do for them? I was a forklift driver in the freezer. In the freezer. Yeah, yeah. From huh. one extreme to the other. How so, was that? You know, it was fun for for six years. That's where I met uh, the mother of my first child, and. How many children do you have? I have three, three all together. But as of two weeks ago, I will have no more. What? No more. Oh, you took care of that. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. see. Yeah. Science. Mm-hmm. I love you, science. <laughs> yeah. Are these from three different... No. Uh, so my wife, we have two boys. Uh, Are you married we... now? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So I um, met a woman in California. She's the most amazing, wonderful woman. She's a chiropractor. She got us into that whole movie. Do you work on horses? No, no. She does cats and dogs and birds. She saved a bird's life that hit our window the other day. How'd she so, do that? Oh, she just picked the bird up and, and uh, yeah, you can... She tweaked it? Totally, yeah. Yeah, the bird was just laying there with her head like this, and she, she picked it up, and she, you know, just real gently. Because she works on, on babies that have just been born, so she's, you know, super baby gentle. What? Baby baby Babies, like baby human, human babies. babies. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> baby babies, you know. <laughs> a baby no, Tasmanian devil. <laughs> How do you make a baby float? I don't know. Two scoops of ice cream and two scoops of baby. Oh, God. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, Jesus. So she saved the bird, she tweaked the thing. Yeah, and the... yeah the bird does this and then like flies away. Wow, usually they die pretty yeah. shortly after mm-hmm. that. This one didn't totally break its neck, it's just out of adjustment, so. Wow. Yeah, and it stood there kind of stunned for a second and, and looked up at her and then flies away. How long away. have you been married now? Uh, one year and whatever October to now is, three, four months. And you have children with this woman? Yeah, yeah, we had kids before. We wanted to make sure that we could have kids together before we got married. What? You know. <laughs> so weird, dude. Did you have two together? Yeah, yeah, we okay. had two. So I had a three-year-old boy and a six-year-old boy. Nice. So, yeah, How's and that a going? 20-year-old dog. Uh, it's a challenge. Boy, these guys are... I mean, because I, I had a girl. I mean, it was easy. It was a piece of cake. <laughs> you know, here's a coloring book. Here's right. here's a doll. It's like, you know, yeah. let me know. These guys are just balls of energy, and yeah. I love them to death. To teach my son a couple of brain dance moves, he's six years old, and now he's like pop locker, man. He's really? amazing, yeah. Yeah, I show him a couple YouTube videos and he just does it. I'm like, how 
Have you introduced him to Louis? No. You know Rodriguez? No. He local? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I, I figured you'd know him because he's in the movie business. Yeah. I mean, I might. I'm, I'm bad with names. Well, I'll, I'll remember great. your face for the rest he's of my Mexican. life. He's Mexican. Does that help? Okay. No. Yeah. I, I now recognize. <laughs> No. <laughs> Very good looking kid. Okay. He's got a bunch of movie projects. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I know. He works with uh, Gary Gary Lundgren. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He did that, that boxing one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, he's a pop lock and break dancer. Really? All right. Your daughter's with you, too? No, she is married and she lives up Your in Alaska. Your married? Yep. How old is she? She's 20. Yeah, she married her high school sweetie. 46? Yeah, yeah. Can you tell by the gray hair? You're a very young looking man. I mean, the gray Thank could you. be, you know, yeah, conditional yeah. based on... My mom always did say I had a face for radio. I did have a doppelganger growing up here. He worked at Applebee's. I would have people ask me, so how's the job going? I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, you're working at Applebee's. I'm like, I don't work at Applebee's. Like, no, no, I saw you served us. You served us the other night. I'm like, no, I didn't. I delivered beer, and I guess people used to ask him, you know, hey, how's it, you know... You how's the fun? beer delivery? Beer? Right. And so when I went to Applebee's and we both looked at each other, it was freaking. Was it real? Like it, yeah. He, he really looks yeah, that I'm much like, like you. Holy shit, this guy, we could be twins. Wow. Yeah. And yeah, I turned around and walked out. No, I was like, oh, yeah. can't have it. It's too weird. Yeah. So I worked at Gold River Distributing, Columbia Distributing, driving a beer truck, short stint working for Mel Tribune, delivering papers. That's an early, early in the morning job. I didn't That's like for that. little kids. Yeah. No, no, I was the guy that dropped off the papers for the. Oh, for the Yeah, I was driving the van and, you know. Okay. And uh, that was, yeah, it was boring. Oh, I sold ice cream for a while. For who? Frozen Gourmet right here in Medford. I drive out all the way to Lakeview, Oregon, selling ice cream. I don't want to do that again. You've had a job. lot of jobs. I thought I had a lot of jobs. You I mean, I was talking to the guy that used to own Omar's. I told him I worked uh, as a dishwasher at Omar's. And I had enough one night. I walked out. And I walked, you know, to the top of Walker. And my mom says, hey, what are you doing? I thought you were working. And I'm like, I'm done. I quit. She goes, no, you don't. You get back there right now. So I went back down and I had no idea I was gone. I, but uh, yeah. So, so you just walk right back in like George Costanza? Yeah. Nicely done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I had a long cigarette or something. Uh, I worked at Dairy Queen when we had one here. I was a Dairy logger Queen. for three months. That was the longest three months of my life. Setting chokers up on the front with loggers. I have no idea what you're talking about. It's brutal. About. Yeah, logging is, that sucks. I mean, I, I'm glad I had all the them. jobs that you had. I should. What makes that great, though, is that I have a lot to talk about with people. I have done so many different things right. that it allows me to strike up conversations easily because I, you know, I had a background in a lot of stuff. What was your favorite thing other than the thing you're doing now? Oh, definitely being in Hawaii. Definitely, I was going to say, yeah. diving in the thing with the yeah. things, right? Yeah, that was super fun. Where'd you learn how to scuba dive? Interestingly enough, you would think, since I lived in Hawaii, I would have done that. I got my taste of scuba diving, but I actually moved back here and got certified here in Oregon. So that Before was... Before you went? After I came back for the first time. Okay. Was that like foresight? No, but I loved it. I loved scuba diving. It was so much fun. And then... I, when I found out that that was the job opening, yeah. the last job available for me on Oahu, and I got it just from lying my ass off. And I was actually the first guy they ever hired. Oh. It only had women uh, scuba divers. I was the first male that got the job. And then I just got sick of this place. So you left again? Yeah, Where I did. did. You go? I went to the Bay Area. Uh, I met a girl at uh, Waitress at Taboo at the, at the time, and I knew her for a solid three months. Okay. She said, I want to go be a teacher in, in, uh, in Oakland. I'm like, that's insane. I'm in. And so we ended up moving not to Oakland, but to Marin. I wanted diversity. <laughs> I wanted I wanted culture. <laughs> I went to Marin so of all places. Yeah. You know, like a big white box of Tic Tacs? <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Nice. Exactly. And so ended up living in a storage facility in Sausalito, right on the water, for three years for free. I just rented out storage spaces. I lived in this huge flat in the top of the warehouse. It was oh. ridiculous. Oh. It was like the biggest apartment I've ever had in my life. 
I could ride my bike in my apartment. Wow. I lived there for three years. You know, I moved down there. The job I had was selling cell phones, and that was immediately challenging. Quit that job and just started working at Starbucks. Ended up in three different bands. We practiced at my place, and then I had three couches and the full band set up and a bar. I mean, it was ridiculous. Wow. Yeah, it's awesome. So lived for free in Sausalito for, you know, for three years brilliant until i met a woman and she another woman yeah she changed everything yeah yeah where'd that take you uh to a couple other places buying a house in marin we bought a two-bedroom one and a half bath for five hundred and seventy thousand dollars. you buy a house townhouse she was rich that helps yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i think it was manager at pete's coffee and tea at the time why did you hang out with her uh she was cuckoo ah yeah for all the things that she liked about me it ended up being the things that she didn't like about me like she loved the fact that I'm I'm a drummer in a bunch of bands, yeah. singer, and then all of a sudden now Dude, I'm gigging all the time. Right. Yeah, you you know, all these girls that are hanging out. Oh like, yeah. You know, they're not actually. But right. it's crazy. Yeah. Well, that sounds fun. Yeah, yeah. So then well, I was in a band with a guy that went to chiropractic school, left the band to do that. Three years later he graduates and says, Hey, come down and get adjusted. He did and he goes, Oh wait, before you leave, I want to introduce you to somebody. And out walks this knockout, this Gorgeous woman, dark hair. She had these little uh, curly hair with like the pigtails and these green eyes, beautiful smile. And I was like, immediately like, oh my God, this chick is, uh. And uh, that's, my, that's my wife now. That's your wife? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. how awesome. Yeah, yeah, What's yeah. your name? Her name's Casey. Casey. Yeah. And she practices right over here uh, next to Snap Fitness. So she's got elements of being chiropractic. So okay. I'm well adjusted. Uh, yes, you are, literally. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I was never moving back here, but she actually did a drive through years before she met me on her way to Seattle on a road trip and then came back and stayed in this town and she's like oh my god Ashland I think that's actually why she was with me she found out I was from Ashland uh, and she's like oh I, I can date you now because we'll probably end up moving there and even though I was like nope never coming back and then we where are you now uh in Ashland yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep so here I am that's but, so weird yeah you've had a crazy run dude yeah yeah it's been a lot of fun that's really fun. Wild, like wild stuff yeah yeah so I, for a short period of time when I was in high school, was a drug tester for some local dealers in town. And they How'd would you get, get that gig? Oh, I don't know. I guess I was just good at... Did you put an ad in the paper? <laughs> no, no. Could have actually. Maybe could have a actually... drug tester. So they would get in their shipment of whether it was acid or mushrooms or, or weed, and they would say, hey, Sean, we got the new stuff. You were the tried. guinea pig? I was guinea pig. So I'd take it, and i go, oh, man, this stuff is great. All right, cool. How much have we charged? Oh, this is definitely 16 ounce for sure. You know, or uh, 16, 16 ounce. For in, in drugs, in drugs. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's ass. I never had to pay for drugs my entire high school. I failed to mention I moved out of the house when I was seventeen. I lived on Garfield. By yourself? Yeah. Well, I had a roommate. Yeah. When but, you were seventeen. But when I was eighteen, I was a senior. I actually had to leave school because I was about to get kicked out anyway. Because I I could walk in and write my own. Right my where own, I'm yeah. No, I don't feel good. I'm heading out to the lake. There you go. So I had written so many. I only had one left. So not only was I doing horrible in school, but I was about to get kicked. But the one night that I decided to not be a drug tester anymore was when we hopped in the old Nova, Chevy Nova, my buddies, and we were heading to the Greyhound bus stop to pick up a shipment of horse tranquilizer. In Medford? Yeah. 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 And I started thinking, I don't know how much to take. And this stuff is for horses. Yeah, you weren't doing kind of the body weight thing. Right. Like so I'm like a thousand pounds and I weigh like one. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, you know, I think I'm good. I wanna go home. Oh, and so then, you didn't even go? Nope. Nope. What happened to them? I don't know. I don't know what happened to them. Well, you know, interestingly enough, 
there was a moment where I was hanging out with them again, and my dad found me, and I don't know how he found me, in a random apartment. It was somebody else's house. My dad drove through town and knew where I was. I don't know how he did it. Huh. But he came to the door, and... He rescued you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So that was definitely another bonding moment. Like, yeah, thanks, thanks thank Dad. You, I'm Dad. pissed at you for embarrassing in front of my friends, quote unquote friends. Uh, but yeah, he saved my life. That's yeah, awesome. Because who knows what else I would have. That might have been the greatest moment between you two. Right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So. And he was only 70? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So when I see other people at the Y and they're 70 years old and they're doing TRX right next to me, I'm just like, man, it's so good. I'm, I'm so amazed that. He was so young, and really, yeah. I mean, that was way too soon. So you take care of yourself. I do. I do. You exercise. I do. Do you yep. eat well? I do. I try to eat well. I I love sugar, but uh, yeah, no drinking during the week now. Oh, <laughs> Only look on the at weekend. you! You yeah. are a responsible adult. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then my wife is amazing. She takes good care of us, and she gets good food for us. And that's yeah. wonderful. You have a sweet family. Yeah. Look how that all turned around your family was totally dysfunctional and fucked up totally and you have a relatively normal yeah. life that you were able to succumb all that yeah well that's yeah. a difference like that's you know that's right evolution you did not carry on handed to you yeah you still did your own thing yep that's really fantastic yep. and you're doing what you love every day right it's brilliant it's brilliant yeah there's nothing better than that nope wow congratulations Dan. thank you Seriously. thank you how that... do people find you uh, they can go to Real House Films, R-E-E-L, like a film reel. Facebook, Real House Films, there's some of our stuff there. Video Ninja Pro, you can look up that as well if you're interested in learning how to shoot videos yourself and make, cool. them, make them interesting. Yeah, man, I really appreciate you coming. Awesome. And, uh, Thanks and for I the opportunity. And I look forward to getting together with you more and hanging out. Indeed. That's the show. Hope you enjoyed it. It was great to get a, a little time from Brooke. Uh, her show's fantastic. I, I urge you to give it a watch. Uh, her website is fastlife.tv, and the show can be found on Amazon Prime. And you can also see them. Uh, uh, they have a YouTube channel and have some teaser videos and things up there if you'd like to check that out first. I uh, also like to. Uh, thanks, Sean, Mark, Nipper. Sean, uh, thank you for sharing some, uh, some pretty interesting life details. And, uh, and it was good to get to know you a little bit better. You can also check out other projects that uh, Sean's worked on right there at realhousefilms.com. Uh, remember, Mark Ahrensberg here, the guy talking to you, Citizen 44, is your friend. And I'm here to just hang out with you in any way that I can and uh, present stuff that I think is cool for you, for me, because I get to learn through this exercise, uh, I get to learn a lot of things about a lot of people uh, that I would not ordinarily know anything about and, and be introduced to people whom I would not normally uh, be introduced to or seek out for that matter. So. Uh, it's very cool for you to let me do this for you, for us, uh, together. Citizen 44 with Mark Ahrensberg is a listener-supported presentation. There is a donate button at citizen44.com. Your support is, is absolutely needed for this project to continue. 
thanks again for listening to the show as always. I appreciate you. And uh, word to your mother's uncle. I'd also like to say a special thank you to Doug Fergus. Doug Fergus uh, from LuckyDoug.com and NakedRealityMusic.com. Doug is a uh, major contributor to the Citizen 44 with Mark Ehrensberg show and uh, also provided the uh, closing song, Departure Family, for this show, which I drum on. So thanks, Doug. Love you, buddy. If whatever you're doing is not working, there's only one way you can change that, and that's to change what you do, 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 change what you do. I am Citizen 44. Hello. Uh, no, I'm not selling any speakers. How did you get this number? No, please hang up right away. Excuse me? Hang on just a second, please. Hey, Robin. What's going on? Yeah, I'm having some phone troubles right now. What? Wait, hang on. Commissioner Gordon's calling. Hello, Commissioner Gordon. Yes, I'm I'm having some difficulties with the phone today. Yes, I, I see the light flashing now. No, no, I did not see the bat signal. You called Robin? What? I'm sorry, Commissioner Gordon. I, I'm going to have to call you back. Hello? Hey, Robin. Yeah. Yeah. Alfred, can you help me re-scramble this phone number, please? Yes, Robin. Okay. Son of a... Yes, Commissioner Gordon. Yes, I just spoke to Robin. Yes, he told me he took care of it. Yes. Thank you. Hello? Robin? Why didn't you try and get a hold of me? Yes? Yeah, well, I'm. something's happening with my telephone. I'm getting odd phone calls. Yes, well, there's other ways of you to get a hold of me. Yes, I know, Robin. I don't need the attitude, Robin. I have enough trouble right now. What do you mean, who do I think I am? I'm Batman. Hmm, I like that.